I'm Sean Kennedy, and this is Backstage at the Enharmonic. I am beyond thrilled to have had the opportunity to chat with my next guest. He is a literal legend of jazz and a drumming giant. The incredible Harold Jones. A few years ago, I bought the book, Harold Jones, The Singer's Drummer. It's a great book and I recommend it for everyone out there that's a fan of music, uh, any music. He's known as a jazz drummer, but his life has crisscrossed so many different genres. It's incredible what one human being is able to do uh, with music. So I definitely recommend this, and I'll put a link below in the YouTube video for this one. After I read this book, I was so inspired, I wanted to find out if I could get in touch with Harold. Lo and behold, being a member of the Musicians Union, I was able to find his email address, and I gave it a shot. I sent a random email to this email address, and within a day or two, he had written back and answered a bunch of my questions about drumming and Count Basie, and I couldn't believe it, and I was thrilled. And over the last few years, we've become friends, we've emailed back and forth, we've had text messages, and two years ago, he actually invited my wife and I as his guest to the Tony Bennett concert that was in Philadelphia at the Academy of Music, and we got to hang out with Harold backstage, um, I got an autograph, and I actually got to meet Tony Bennett uh, for a few minutes, which was a thrill of a lifetime. So Harold, if you're watching this, thank you again, I can't thank you enough. So who is Harold Jones? If you're new to Harold Jones' music, Harold Jones is a pillar in the world of jazz drumming. Who's he worked for? He's still working with the great Tony Bennett. Uh, he played with Count Basie, and he's on, I think it's 14 albums with Count Basie. Incredible. Love the Count Basie band. One of my favorites. Who else has he worked with? Frank Sinatra, Duke Ellington, Herbie Hancock, B.B. King, Lady Gaga, Natalie Cole, Ray Charles, and the list goes on and on and on. It's incredible who this guy's worked with. We talk about his early career, what made him become a drummer. Uh, how did he happen to play the drums? What's his favorite drum rudiment that he likes to warm up with and use around the drum kit? We talk about technology, uh, the pros and cons of technology in the music industry. He has a really interesting perspective on recording studios of today versus years ago. So you'll want to check that out. We also get to talk a little bit about Mel Brooks. If you remember the classic scene in Blazing Saddles, when Cleavon Little is going to the new town to be the sheriff and he's riding through the desert, check this out. The drummer right there is Harold Jones. And he has a very, very entertaining story about how he happened to be in the movie and what it was like to film the movie Blazing Saddles. I hope you enjoy my chat with the great Harold Jones. Yes. <laughs> I actually ironed the top of this shirt for this interview. It's the first time I've used an iron in a few weeks. <laughs> and I got shoes on. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yeah, all right. Man. So we'll just go through all the questions and uh, see what happens with this. Okay, man. Fabulous. Okay. So our first question comes from a student named Janice, and she's actually a trumpet player, and she wants to know what inspired you to start drumming. What inspired me to start drumming? Well, I'll tell you. My mom sent me to a music camp that they started in Richmond, Indiana. And uh, it was 14 weeks for $14, five days a week. And she said, I don't care what you play, but you're going to play something. So, you know, my favorite musician at that time was Miles Davis. Man, mm -hmm. he was cool. He wore the sunglasses at night, you know. And... <laughs> uh, um, 
I went into this music room where they were going to pass out instruments. Now, they said, check off the instrument on the paper that you want to play. You know what? I'm in Richmond, Indiana, way back in the, this is in the early 50s. I didn't know how to spell trumpet. I knew it started with a T. When I looked at the paper, I picked out the smallest word that started with a T because the trumpet was smaller. And man, I, that guy said, oh, that's what you want to play? And when he came over and wrapped that tuba around me, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a shock to my sister. And I tried to tell my mom I didn't want to play music and uh, I wanted to be a second baseman like Jackie Robinson. And mom said, no, at this price, you're going to play something. So I told the man, well, I, I really want to maybe play drums. I knew how to spell that. <laughs> so that's how I got on the drums instead of the trumpet. Wow. And, yeah. And I, I'll tell you, five years later, my brother knew how to spell trumpet. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> he ended up playing trumpet. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But that's how I got into the drums. Wow. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. All right. A lot of uh, trumpet players participated in this uh, poll. So here's another question from a trumpet player. His name is Anthony. And let's see. He said, when you realized you wanted to become a professional musician, uh, what did you start to do to achieve your goal? I went to every kind of music that there was. By that, I mean, I was I preferred jazz. And back then it was Miles Davis style, Max Roach and Art Blakey. But then I started going to Dixieland and then to blues. And back then I needed the money. I worked any and every job and never said no. And uh, I was with the original Honey Dripper, a blues guy named Roosevelt Sykes in Chicago. This is in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was blues. We went to work in the daylight. We came home in the daylight. I don't know how I went to school all day. I don't remember. I don't remember eating or sleeping back then, but that was it. It 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 was uh seven days a week, and I in Chicago you could do that, work seven days a week and go to different places and whatnot. And I tell you, I never had to practice until this coronavirus locked me up, man. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe how heavy the sticks were when I picked them up. <laughs> I said, oh man. But anyway, I never have practiced that much in the last 20 years, 30 years, because I was working. I worked wow. six nights a week minimum. And you had to to put food on the table. And uh, it was uh, it was just all good and keeping in shape. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Uh, questions from a student named Michael. And I get, he says, what's your favorite rudiment? So drum rudiment. I had to think about that one for a minute. Because <laughs> you know what? I'm going to end up saying the paradiddle. Uh-huh. Although I like the open and closed and open long roll. Mm -hmm. I just figured those two rudiments kind of help my hands both practice equally. And then I could start going out to diff different parts of the drum set. Oh, the right to the left with the paradiddles. And then I do the open and close roll and hear how much control I can keep on that one. Mm -hmm. So I'm narrowed down to those two. Okay. But I'll tell you, in the 60s, it was all, it was back then, there was only like 20-some, 30-some rudiments. I'm going to say that then they started adding them. 
to the triple, right. triple paradiddle and the triple rattamacue. <laughs> and who knows? But anyway, that's how I'm down to two now. But I feel they're doing whatever all of the others might be doing. So that's my best answer on that. Yeah. Well, that's good because I remember when I met you about two years ago, when you gave me your autograph, it, it all ties in. You wrote, uh, let's see, can it get in there? Yeah. So Parallel. Wrote, yeah, Parallax. So there you go. Only drummers got that. That's right. <laughs> Only, <laughs> hey, we got our own little thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it took a drum, it takes a drum to know what it means. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right, let's see. All right, now this student, uh, well, it, this question came from a lot of students. Two uh, in particular were Alexis and Luke, uh, but it said, out of all the people you've played with, who have you enjoyed playing with the most? If you can even answer that, I don't even know. <laughs> no, 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 I can't answer that. I, that takes a lot of time because you see, every time you're playing with any anybody, you're supposed to be liking it and putting one hundred percent of yourself into it. So I mean, when I was with the, uh, when I was with, there was a Paul Winter group. We uh, oh, yeah. were a jazz band way back there in the fifties, sixties, and uh, boy, we played hard every night, and. Um, I mean, I can name any of the guys like Basie or with Nat Natalie Cole, Nancy Wilson, Carmen McRae. When I would come off that stage, even today, especially today with Tony Bennett, I'm soaking wet. I have to change not only my clothes, I have to change my underwear. <laughs> I'm soaking wet. Now, wow. now, that's how hard you and intense I, I am when I am doing the, the job or call it the show. But at the same time, if that show is two hours long, that's the fastest two hours of the day for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, okay. That's great. Yeah. And I remember and that was a great answer, too, because you went back to Paul Winter all the way to Tony Bennett, and it kind of like spans your recording career. And yeah. that one album you did with Paul Winter, uh, I think you're in Brazil. There's an overhead shot of all you guys on an overlook. Yeah, uh, I forget the name of the album, but that's a—I I love that album. And that's a real picture. Uh, most people thought it was a phony picture backdrop thing. We went okay. up there. We went up there to that place. That, that, wow! That, that statue of Christ. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I love that album. I love that album. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Let's see. Who do we have next? All right. This one comes from a college student, a great trumpet player. His name's Nick. And let's see, he says, what qualities make a horn player enjoyable to play with for a rhythm section in a combo setting? Hmm. Well, I'm going to start off with learn to play the melody. A lot of guys start off too bebopish right from the beginning and you don't know what song they're playing. Hmm. But like, that's why they say like my favorite trumpet players in the later days turned out to be guys like Sweets Edison. Uh, in, instead of a, uh, I don't, I don't want to put anybody ever down. Right. So I'm not going to say it, but my favorite. So uh, you know, I I grew up playing with cats like Freddie Hubbard. I liked him, and uh, a, a quality trumpet player. <laughs> I, that, that that trumpet player boy, you know, he's kind of one of the top notches bosses in the band. <laughs> uh huh. So I can't say anything negative. Uh, you, I ended up reading trumpet music on the Basie band because there were not a lot of drum charts. Wow. 
And so I sat up there on that along that row and I looked down there and I looked down there and uh, I can't I'm pointing wrong. Anyhow, yeah. I read off of that that the trumpet book and I would see what they were going to be playing. And that's how I know how to lead in to what they were going to come in. And I learned to lead in a little longer so the guys could make sure they could all together get a breath together. Mm-hmm. I just don't start a little fill right before the thing starts because then everybody's going to be gasping for the air. So I would, that's how those big band fills started a little early sometimes. You'd hear them almost two bars mm-hmm. before you're going to hit. So it's, uh, it's, that's how we started doing things like that to help the trumpet sections like that. Yeah. Mm. But in a small group, man, it's just got to be a cat that you live with, you hang with. You know what he had for lunch. You know if he had a beer or if you know he had iced tea. So, so that you know what direction to go in. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I say for, for beginners especially, play with your eyes open because it's not your show. And you can always tell if you hear a squeak or a squall, if you know the guy meant it or if he was just having trouble playing. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, your eyes are a very important tool in your playing. And especially if you know how to read. I mean, you got to learn how to read. I've been, I've gotten so many jobs because I could read. And that's what happened back when I first started playing because I didn't say I wanted to play the drums. They didn't have a drum for me. So I got a practice pad and sticks and a mute and a book. And that was a good two or three weeks. It took them that long to get another drum. And so I think that really kind of helped me learn to read without any fear of ever reading anything. Wow. Which, by the way, for drummers, there is no one way to write. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, guys. If you've read all these different things, there's no one one line that is gospel. And everybody wants to invent their own method to act like how superior they are or they're a great arranger, you know? I said, wait a minute, this is too hard to read. Well, the good guys that were writing drum parts back when I was with Basie, like Sammy Nesco, he would just simply write above the staff what style of fill he wanted to play. And uh, Sammy Nesico always left it open for you to play it your way. But he indicated a direction of it. Mm. I don't know how to explain that musically right now. But uh, he didn't write a lot of things that you're going up and down the staff. That, no. And that's, that's just one of the things. I, so I got to know the arrangers. And if I knew the arranger, I could read the music better. <laughs> uh, you, right. you knew what he meant. If you didn't know the arranger, sometimes a guy says play soft. Well, now soft in one category in one size room is one thing. Soft in a small room with a trio is another thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you, if you know the arranger and you know what you're doing, and then you know what size room you're playing in as a musician, every room has different acoustics, as you know that. That's why I've never liked to play outdoors. Because the sound oh, yeah. goes out and it never comes back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And that's how the sound became more and more necessary. So you could get to more and more of those people out there with no wall behind them. But that's why in the nightclub when we came up, boy, didn't matter how big it was. Biggest place probably held 300 people. The biggest. But anyhow, you had a wall there. And, and I mean, you could look up and see everybody in the back their heads were going up and down with the music. They were going in exactly the same thing. And it was like you could see the whole dance floor going up and down together at the same time. Wow. It, it, it was it was 
physically, I don't know what you, I don't want to come up with a name as an Andy word, <laughs> but it was inhilarating. <laughs> <Exactly>. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. this, this wasn't on the list, but it's, it's something you said. Uh, it made me think of a question. Uh, like when you recorded with Basie, let's say a big band chart, um, were those things road tested before you hit the studio or did you just get it that day? And they said, let's try this out. We just got it that day. Wow. And said, yeah. <laughs> and when they ran through it the first time, it was to make sure that the notes were correct and the arranger didn't make a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, when they ran through it like that. I'll tell you, though, the one exception, I'm going to say the Magic Flea. Oh. They, give, they give that to us about a week before. <laughs> and we were tripping on the road and we played it and we played it at night. We did play that one. But that's about the only piece of music I can ever say we ever saw before we hit the studio. Wow. Yeah. And that's yeah. an iconic piece for you, the Magic Flea. Anyone who studied your drumming, you know, you th they, we think of that immediately. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Well, okay, man. Well, thank you very much. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get back to my list here. Let's see. Uh, so a student named Tilly wants to know, what is your favorite piece of percussion equipment? You know, I thought about that and I left it upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a shaker, you know, like I yeah. hear, like those eggs. Those oh, yeah. Eggs, because I've been in restaurants where they had a band or something and I just pick one up. And I and I would just start shaking it, and and all of a sudden I'm in the band, you know, <laughs> and and it has a beautiful tone and sound. But see, I'm such old school that when I hit a cymbal, I need to hear the rivets, which is like, oh yeah, yeah, you know. So I I'm old school, and that helps me because it, it's just got a smooth sound going along. That I'm I'm more of a cymbal player than a drummer. In other words, I don't do the Buddy Rich type of uh, thing. Although it comes off that way sometimes, but that's just necessary to direct the band. It's, but um, uh, I love the blend of cymbals because I get all those different colors. That's why I ended up getting more and more cymbals as it got on into my years. Yeah. 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 I just added a little splash that uh, I, I haven't got it outside the house yet. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, but that's a, that's my latest little thing, because that was a great instrument, boy. Buddy used to play that. Oh, wow, yeah. it, was, it was so great. So, but anyway, yeah. So, but my favorite so instrument, I I'd say, is a shaker. I just like the nice. shaker, and uh, I can get there and get my own feeling within the band and and whatnot. Although I do have my toys that. I grew up studying percussion. Right. <laughs> I, st I studied with uh, Al Payson with the Chicago Symphony, Gordon Peters. And uh, I mean, I played a triangle for one year and we read from a snare drum book. Everything hmm. that's in a snare drum book, you can play on a triangle with one hand. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did. I played all the percussion instruments and I loved them all, too. Because you can get all these different colors, you know. Mm -hmm. So that that's why I love it. Yeah, but anyway, so my favorite instrument, I'm just gonna narrow it down to that little shaker. <laughs> Egg shaker. Yeah. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what do I have up next? Hey, since you're right near those symbols, could you play a little swing pattern for us so we can hear you uh, swing? Yeah, well, what I do is I just 
I, I do a lot of straight quarter notes, and that's why playing behind a singer, it works much better. So in other words, now, if a horn player is playing, that's okay. That's like a nice little cushion there, a little ride for him, okay. But if it's a singer, sometimes I, but you'll find that if you just get a, depending on where the words are, you try not to step on any words. And uh, that's how I've ended up playing behind a lot of singers because I keep it right down underneath them so you can hear the words. That's what that's what the whole purpose is supposed to be about. And uh, uh, I say, that's that's why I say get, get a blending symbol for the type of person that you're playing with too. Oh, hmm. By that, I mean, you know, like this one here sounds like which would definitely normally be more female because it's a lot higher pitch. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, <coughs> I can't talk fast enough. <laughs> but uh, anyway, what was the question? <laughs> no, that was good. I just wanted to hear you play some swing on the on the ride. That was beautiful. That was good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. We can go on to the next question. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Okay. This is a question from a student named Finn. He says, you've worked with so many amazing musicians and singers over the years. Is there anyone who you didn't perform with that you wish you would have? Miles Davis. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even have to stop thinking about that. No. Yeah. He was the only one. Because, yeah, I got a chance to play with Diz. Wow. And I played with Freddie Hubbard. And I'm um, trying to think of others. But by traveling with Basie, I got to be with all of his great cats. Mm -hmm. You know, because he always had good ones, sweets, mm. you know. Then I did the Super Morris, Super Big Band. Man, they had four screaming trumpet players. They had, they had three lead trumpets and sweets. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah. Wow. But, yeah. Great. All right. So, Miles, so let's see. Next question is from a student named Miguel. Uh, it says... What are some of the biggest mistakes you see young drummers make on the bandstand? Try to play too much. Mm. Try to play too much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can ever play too little. I mean, you can, but that means you're, you're probably dragging and not loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> so don't let either one of those things happen. But uh, right. you know, I, hear, I hear a lot of students and they blame things that they've learned, but they are necessary at the time really to find a place where they fit in the music that's why the more you play the more you hear those spots it's good to be with any one group of uh, musicians i start with the bass then you go with the piano and the guitar and then a horn because and if you play with the same guys it'll get you the feeling that where you where you breathe because especially as a drummer not breathing not needing to breathe when you're playing it could be uh, detrimental mm -hmm. because you never take a breath. So anyway, uh, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Anyway, just I, so, I, anyway. So just like the uh, just like the arrangers, and when you're backing up a singer, it seems like less is more. That yes. seems to be the way to go. Yes. In most cases. Yes. Nice. Yes. All right. The next question from this student named Joe. Yeah. He says, "Is going to jazz school necessary today?" Oh, yeah, man. I'm telling you, jazz school today, 
because I was doing one up there at Birch Creek in Upper Wisconsin, a music camp. And if you go to a music camp for two weeks with all real players, like the kind of cats you'll be playing with if you ever get to wherever the level is called a top or the top level, I'm telling you, they were getting more learnings and teachings and and stuff. I don't know how much of it went in one ear and out the other, but I thought about it myself when I was up there teaching. These kids are hearing as much stuff as it took me probably five years or 10 years on the street to learn by going to different places and, and whatnot and getting a chance to see some. And in the music school, you'll get a chance to play with real players that know what they're doing. I've always felt I'm only as good as my bass player. <laughs> so I really I really look around for a bass player or listen to him. And I mean, some guys, let's say a, a name like Richard Davis, one of the greatest bass players there is out there. I don't desire mm -hmm. to play with him. <laughs> I mean, this cat's a different style. I'm, I come from more of a, like a, maybe a Ray Brown, just four, oh. four on the floor. And uh, mm -hmm. for, my, for my type of, of bass player. So um, uh, anyway, that's just great. Yeah. Uh, let's see. All right. Next one. This is a student named Braxton. And uh, this kind of uh, dovetails into something that you and I have already talked about with technology and advances. Um, I know, it, but the, the viewers don't know it. Uh, you use uh, plastic brushes when you're on tour with Tony. So why don't you tell them about the plastic brushes and why you choose those? Well, that started when I was with Basie. I'm going to go back to the 60s. And by God, when you're traveling, back then, all we had, which, by the way, I invented the stick bag. And uh, but it, I, I couldn't patent it because it was a unpatentable item. Like if you have a woman's purse, if you change one zipper or one button, it's a completely different thing. So the stick bag was unpatentable. And now the companies have gotten into it and mass produced it. And, wow. Uh, yeah. But that's OK. At least I know it was a good idea. And, and uh, uh, so anyhow, I was on the road with Basie, and back then we didn't have anything. To, uh, uh, we used to throw our sticks, our brushes, right in the top of the trap case. I don't know if you all really know what a trap case is nowadays. They still have them. But anyway, mm -hmm. we throw our sticks and brushes right in the top of the trap case. And the next thing you know, it'd come out, boy, and you'd see it, and it, it'd be out there, and it'd be, it'd be like that. Now, because they were wire, it was really hard to get those puppies back. So, but with the plastic, they would stay in shape a lot longer. I did have to learn the technique to get them going. I did have to learn they don't sound the meat and potatoes as the uh, wire brushes. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing I missed was wire brushes used to have that metal hoop, metal mm -hmm. hoop right up on the end of the brush. And you could go up, you could hit the bell. Now, this one does it because it's hard enough, but but it doesn't always work with the plastic brushes. They don't always have a good uh, another end. But that's why I ended up using the brushes, the plastic brushes. Because they lasted longer and they didn't really bend as easy, and they went right back in place kind of quickly. Great, yeah, yeah. 
So to continue with that technology uh, theme there, uh, you've been recording for a long time. How has technology, in the, especially in the studio, influenced your playing or has it not? Like with click tracks and all the computers and there's no tape anymore, how does that influence you? Well, I'll say, and it has not. <laughs> Recordings and I, I just never felt the recording engineer understood the sound of drums. Now, let me qualify that. I've known three good engineers. Uh, there's a girl up here. Uh, she's a daughter of Clyde Jones. I forget her first name. She works at Lucasfilm. There's a guy down in L.A. named Bruce. There's a guy named uh, uh, Mike Schmidt in L.A. There are some engineers around. I, I can't begin to name them now. But uh, when you walk into the drum, to a drum booth nowadays, they take off the other head or they put more muffle in there so that the drum is as dead a vibration as possible. Now, the guy in the phone in the booth is putting that ring in there and that, that vibrato and whatever he wants, and uh, he's taking it right out of your hands here. Whereas when I hit a drum, I like to hear that little after rain. I like to hear that. But if you're in if you're in a recording studio, you I ain't going to hear. I'm going to hear that, and he's going to put on there how much he wants it to ring. Mm. So I have not been comfortable recording. I, I'm just lucky that some of the recordings I've done have had the best engineers in the world, mm -hmm. and they they take care of it. But uh, I'm just not a fan of recordings because I grew up live. I've heard some live concerts that are so exciting to me. If you go back now and think of some of your favorite shows or any things you've heard live, there were some really exciting ones. There's something in that recording like that that's overhead that captures the entire sound. I don't know. <coughs> but, but anyway, to me, that's how the technique of the recording industry did not capture our true essence. Otherwise, big bands would be very popular now. It wouldn't just be three three guitar players and uh, they can turn it up to 2,000 and it sounds louder than a big band. So uh, to me, I thought technology would help so you could hear every, every horn in the band. But it didn't come off that way as it goes huh. down. So, so, yeah, I might be one of the guys. Maybe it's because I don't get called every day. <laughs> I'm not jealous of, and there's a lot of good players in those studios. You know? Right. But uh, anyway, that that's just what I think about the recordings. All right, great. Interesting. Uh, let's see. So you worked with Natalie Cole. Uh, yeah. Did some great recordings with her. Um, did you ever get to meet her dad? No. No, you never did? No. No. And that recording you did of Unforgettable, um, how did that work? Did you listen to the original track and engineers did some manipulating? And, like, how did that go down? Well, you know, there were four rhythm sections on that album. So okay. They had all four of us play the song. Because we never heard him. See, they laid him in over us. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we probably heard her. I can't quite remember now for sure. Mm -hmm. But they had four rhythm sections to record that tune. My rhythm section was not the one that got picked that actually went on the album. Wow. I had a really great rhythm section, too. I want to say it was Andy Simpkins, uh, Monty, 
um, uh, Monty, what's his name? Alexander. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I want to say John Cudini. It was a really good rhythm section. But the rhythm section that got picked, uh, God, I can't even think who it was. It was Saul Gubin was on drums. And I can't remember who else was in that band. But uh, that was because there were four producers of the album. <laughs> yeah. Each producer got it got to put use his own band. So I'm only on a fourth of the songs, but my fourth was like some 13 songs on mm. there. It's about 20 songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, I don't know now, but that, that's it. Yeah. All right. All right. So these are a couple of questions for me that I wrote down. I didn't want to forget. So uh, the classic Blazing Saddles movie. Um, you're in the desert with Basie. Uh, can you just tell me about that? It's such an iconic scene. One of my favorite scenes ever in motion pictures is when he comes up and there's the Basie band. Uh, what was that like filming that? Yeah, only Mel Brooks could have the background music be seen <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, I got the call. I was living in Los Angeles. I was living in Toluca Lake across the street from Warner Brothers. Now, when I got the call, it was like two days before that day of that filming. And they said they want you to meet down at uh, Warner Brothers at like five o'clock in the morning. And it says, uh, we're gathering up the guys that were in Count Basie's band or that looked like they were in Count Basie's band. <laughs> I'll never forget that because Basie was in Detroit working with his band. They only flew Basie in to L.A. for the video. Wow. Yeah. So nobody on that screen was playing in Basie's band at the time it happened. <laughs> yeah. That's Mel Brooks for you, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the recording, the recording of that uh, on the desert, none of us were on that recording. That was done by <laughs> studio guys. And the drummer was Saul Goobin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there's, there's another one that he got me. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we went out there at 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning when it started turning daylight when we got out there in the desert. It was north of L.A. If you go north of L.A. and behind one of those mountains, it's desert. We got out there at 6 o'clock in the morning. Man, we're getting off the bus. This guy comes over to meet everybody. And, uh, and I get off and he says, how are you doing, Harold? And I didn't know who it was because I didn't know who Mel Brooks was, but he knew my name. It turns out Mel Brooks is a somewhat of a drummer and he loved Basie's band and he knew the name of every drummer that had ever played with Basie's band. Wow. <laughs> so so uh, that's how I was in like Flynn. Then, then he proceeded to say, how you doing, Harold? He said, okay, the bear truck is over there. Number eight. <laughs> <laughs> This is eight o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I go over there and the stage hands are all standing around with their big ice cooler, you know, and the beer, sure enough, sticking right up out of there. <coughs> it was just like it was eight o'clock in the evening. <laughs> but anyway, that, that was how that got going. And uh, we did that recording. They only did a couple of takes. Mm -hmm. if, if, if that. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, but the music wasn't really us. The band wasn't really us. <laughs> Nothing about it was real. Yeah. It seems appropriate for that movie that it would have gone that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Mel Brooks. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? 
Um, that's about it for me. Um, I want to tell everyone about this great book. Let's see. Can I get it in the frame? Oh. Here we go. Look at that guy. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I'm backwards. I, I can't do it. To, I used to look like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great, great book, though. Um, how did how did you get together with the two guys that wrote it? Did they pr pursue you? Yeah, yeah. He pursued me. And he bought me beer sitting at the bar for two years. <laughs> wow. And had me tell stories. And he was not a musician, a Gil Jacobs, which it really helped because he knew the dumb questions to ask. Ah. Which was, yeah, yeah. Musicians, we all think we know everything anyway, you know. But uh, no, he did. I, he, I say, well, why do you have to ask? He's, and he'd say, Harold, not everybody knows. Do you have to warm up before you play? You know, he'd ask little, what I call dumb questions, and they were really regular, basic questions from someone who didn't play music. Yeah, yeah it's a great. It's a great read. I read it twice already, so it's fantastic. Oh, right. Yeah, and the okay. back is your biography, and it's it's full of so much. There's so much in it. I had to read it again because I'm like, what happened there? So I went yeah. back, and so it's fantastic. All right, man. Thank you, Sean. The yeah. last thing I want to ask you, you told me uh, once I called you a couple of months ago, and I, I love the way you described how you sight read music. Like the first time you go through, the second time. Could you tell the listeners that, what you do when you sight read? Okay. <laughs> yeah, when I sight read any part, on a drum part, I try to make it like vanilla ice cream. And I just keep it vanilla. Don't throw anything in. Get your ear accustomed and listen to how the music is being played and how it's going down. Listen to where you would kick it. Then when you go back and play it the second time, you can start to put a little more color in there, which either be strawberry or, or one of the other kind of, of ice creams to get a little more color in there. And then by the time you get ready to take it and take it with feeling, you can go straight chocolate. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I'm saying on when you're learning to read, you read it just at basic so you don't you don't cover up. Well, someplace you may have to fill later you can hear where you should do something yeah so Great. don't be afraid to not play doing that first take just keep the time going so that it can be heard by the whole band yeah but but keep practicing guys right right <laughs> yeah yeah just give you a chance to clean up your room too my wife <laughs> had me make a pass so i could get here into my man cave <laughs> I don't know if you can see the man cave as it goes around. Yeah, I got a lot of cool stuff there. Oh, and I just made a path. But anything. But that that's a man cave there for you. That's right, that's right. <laughs> hey, Harold, thanks for taking the time to uh, be on this interview series. Uh, it was a pleasure, always a pleasure to talk to you and especially to listen to your drumming. And I hope everyone out there that is uh, checking this interview out goes and uh, checks out your entire catalog of recorded music because every time I listen to it, I learn something new. So thank you so much, Harold. Okay, man. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank keep, you so keep much, it Harold. Out there. Keep, keep it alive. Thank you. Right on, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to check out the helpful links in the description below from many of my partner companies. Especially check out the link to One Beat Better. One Beat Better is offering a limited-time, free portable practice pad called the Presto Pad to any viewers of this interview. If you use the code SJKDRUMS at checkout, the pad will be free. You'll just have to pay for shipping.
So go over to One Be Better and check out the Presto Pad. Thanks for listening to this episode of Backstage the Enharmonic. For more great interviews, please visit www.seanjkennedy.com.